Kia ora, you've tuned into the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast, delivered to you by DHL today. Again, we've got Sophie Logie on from Cable Leach down in Christchurch. And this episode, we are going to be talking about restructuring your business from both the employer and the employee's side and who's got the rights and what, what can be done and what can't be done so we can better understand the process. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Sophie into the stream. Kia ora, how are you? Hi Craig, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. I like having this time talking to you about employment law. I actually find it very interesting. We've had a bit of a chat off air about this one. I've been through five restructures in my time. And um, we were talking about just before actually how the dynamic of the office or your space where you work definitely changes. Um, people get anxious and everyone manages the, the the new environment quite differently so it's it's always a, a it puts a lot of pressure on on the culture as you said as well yeah absolutely and I, I think that's something that sometimes employers don't take into account necessarily before embarking on this process as well and you do hear of organizations where they may have restructured a year or so ago and people were still really um feeling quite hurt by it, even if they've survived the restructure and they've come through the other side, they may have had friends who have left or what have you. So it's definitely um, a factor which should be taken into account as well before embarking on that process. Mm. We also were talking about this, restructuring is not always a bad thing. So sometimes um, a business organisation or startups had immense growth, rapid growth, and they didn't really have much of a structure, to be honest. They might have had a CE and, this, and then there's a team or a yep. founder and a team, and they need to actually create a business structure so they have a better plan. And then, and then that's very different. So we're, we're someone who might have started as a junior or, or, or in a new role has a massive opportunity to get into new roles. And that's the way I think about restructures too, because so long as you do a good job all the time, you've got an opportunity to take a step up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, employers can restructure their business for a range of reasons. I think a lot of the time people automatically think restructure with the company's struggling or there's financial difficulties and they need to downsize. But it can actually be for a range of reasons. It can be to create new roles, to um, streamline the business and to amend direct reports, um, to change position descriptions. Um, and a lot of that can just be as a result of growth and that the business is just really growing organically over time and suddenly they've kind of lost their way and they just need to streamline everything. Um, mm. So yeah, restructuring can happen for a range of reasons and it doesn't just have to be because you're struggling financially and it can be um, to factor in a lot of different um, reasons and to achieve the structure that you want to achieve. So today we're going to be talking, we've got four questions um, we're going to ask Sophie and we probably like usual go, I will anyway, go off on little tangents asking little side questions on those. So Sophie, we send questions in advance, so she's prepared, but not for the random ones I've asked, I'm going to ask. So <clears throat> could you give our audience an idea of the process an employer or, or organisation needs to go through to implement a restructure? Yep, absolutely. So the first step for any restructure is to prepare a written proposal document. 
And so that should generally cover, first of all, your reasons for why you're proposing what you are. So those are your business reasons. So um, if you are, if it is for financial reasons, then you would be setting that out. And you should also be providing evidence to support that if you can. For example, if you're saying you've suffered a certain amount of loss, then you may want to attach um, some financial statements supporting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd cover your business reasons and then you go into exactly what you're proposing and it may be that the restructure affects one person it may be that it affects multiple people or the whole organization Um, and so it's just making that really clear exactly what you're proposing and why and then covering off that they'll have the option to give feedback on the proposal Um, best practice would be to meet with Um, employees in person to hear their feedback but in some cases that might not be practical for example if it's a really big organization and you simply can't meet with 50 people in a week um, then you can give the option to well give feedback in writing but with the option to meet if they want to Mm -hmm. and um, so you would cover all that off in the proposal Normally, you would call a meeting with the affected employees to give them the proposal and talk them through that, outline the next steps, such as they'll have the option to give feedback. Um, You would then go through that feedback process. Normally, it's best practice to allow at least, say, a week between giving them the proposal and the deadline for feedback. Mm -hmm. And then um, you can go on and make a final decision once you've reviewed and considered all the feedback that has been received. Um, It can become a little bit more complicated, for example, if you're reducing roles. So if you've got, say, five sales assistants and you only think that you need three, and so you're proposing to reduce to three, then you actually need to run what we call a selection process between those five sales assistants to see who will end up with the three roles. Um, So it does add an extra layer to a restructure because you need to clearly set out what the selection criteria you're you're going to be assessing employees against. Um, And you should be providing that with the proposal so that they can comment on the selection criteria. And so once you make your final decision, you would then go through the selection process with those employees to see who would be offered the three roles. So... Those can make it a little bit more complex. And if you're in that sort of situation, I always recommend seeking advice just because they can be a little bit more niggly than a straightforward restructure. Um, So it just adds an extra layer, really, and it just extends the process a little bit. I generally allow at least two weeks from start to finish to run a restructure process. Um, And, yeah, and and go from there. But um, it, it certainly... it's important to remember that at the proposal stage you're putting forward a proposal so it's not a done deal it's just something that you're considering and something that you are proposing um, and that it's not just presented to staff as if you've already made your mind up got it so are you saying that the in the ideal world a restructure should be two weeks long from when you first propose it to the team until when you actually made the decisions on who's got the jobs and everything like that, or is that just the the time frame to for your employees to be able to provide some feedback? Um, no, two weeks from start to finish would be sufficient. Um, 
it, it, it entirely depends probably on the nature of the changes you are proposing, but you can do it potentially on a little bit more of a condensed time frame as well. Um, just kind of best practice, I'd like to say, to allow two weeks to um, give the proposal, give them time to consider it, meet with them, hear their feedback, consider that feedback and then make a decision. Um, should be allowing at least two weeks just to um, make sure you're not rushing it through. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, employees might ask for extra time, so it still gives you a little bit of leeway for that as well. Cool. So I want to be quite even with this conversation about the rights of the employer and the rights of the employee in this scenario as well. So how can employers get this wrong? Yeah, uh, the most common ways is really not following the right process. So mm -hmm. um, not having a really clear proposal or simply going to a meeting and say, hey, look, we're um, struggling, we're going to reduce roles, this is what's happening. You know, it, it really needs to be a formalised process um, and you need to have that paper trail to support you. So if you if the employer hasn't followed the correct process, then that's the most common grounds um, that an employee would have for um, unjustified dismissal to raise a personal grievance. Also, the business reasons. So they need to, as I said, you need to set out the business reasons for what you're proposing in the proposal. And so if the employer hasn't done that, or if there's concerns that what they're saying isn't genuine, um, then that's another area that would give an employee grounds to pursue a personal grievance. Um, so it really comes down to getting the business reasons right and to following the right process. Um, and employees should always be given the option to, if if you are having in-person meetings, they should always be given the option to either bring a representative or um, a support person to those meetings as well. Right. Oh, yeah, because I can... Yeah, definitely feel for some of the restructures I've been through and, and in the past I've worked in um, local government, so like economic development agencies, councils, whatnot. Our, never ever has it ever been in a restructure that's like been two weeks, <laughs> no, more yeah. than two to, two to 12 months. Um, and then yeah, it gets quite awkward um, in, the, in the office and, and, and during that time as well. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes they can drag on um, a lot, of, especially if people are asking for a lot of extra information or um, raising concerns with that. It can really slow the process down, um, and as you say, that can have some bad impacts in itself. So it's important that it isn't too short, but it's also important that it doesn't go on too long because that's a long period for employees to be under stress as well, you know, not knowing what's happening with their role, not knowing whether they should be looking for another job, um, you know, it creates a lot of stress for employees, so it's a bit of a balancing act really. So let's say there's a new role of employment lawyer, you and I are having a crack at it, I think I'm better than you at this job, but clearly I wasn't because you got the role and I didn't. And I felt yeah. like I was unfairly treated because I've got five years extra experience. I come with a whole um, a back catalogue, let's say, of clientele that I'm going to bring to the party as well. And I just yeah. feel that, that it's been a personal decision rather than an actual um, based on skill and and being part of the culture as well, I suppose, team culture. Yeah. What, what, what should I do then? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's why having a clear selection criteria is quite important in that circumstance because you normally, when I talk about a selection criteria, you would have specific attributes that you're looking for in a successful appointment um, and you would rate each person, say, out of five for mm -hmm. each attribute and then tally them up and you'd have a score at the end. And so it gives you something really tangible to look at to say this person scored higher, this person didn't. Um, because otherwise it is really, um, you know, it's hard to justify your decision if you don't have that selection criteria outlining why this person got offered the role over another. And mm -hmm. it does leave people feeling like that and being like, well, actually, no, I don't think they've made the right choice. And they don't, the employer doesn't have anything to point to to defend why they picked that person as well. So a selection criteria is really important in that situation, um, not only to show that the employer is doing the right process and treating employees equally, but also for employees and they can say, okay, well, this was my score and I didn't score as highly as others. So um, yeah, it, it's a really good tool um, to manage both from an employer perspective and an employee perspective as well. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose, obviously, my expectations of my own work was up here, but actually it was down here and you were better than me and that's why you got a job. Anyway, let's move on. I'm still sad about that. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You're doing all right. Uh, <laughs> so what are the, like, so there's, there's roles that are going to be disestablished, right? So there's the account manager might change to be a BDM or a sales executive or a digital Manager might be split into six roles where because that's the focus you want to go. You want to go into TikTok, LinkedIn, da 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 da, and you want to have um, experts in each of the, in each of those spaces. So, what's the guidelines for dis disestablishing a, a role and establishing a new role? Um, and let's just say it's an account manager to a business development manager, which is quite different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, it's just what you would propose in the proposal. So you would be proposing to disestablish certain roles and providing the justification for why you're doing that and then proposing to create a new role and why you're proposing to do that as well. And as we talked about, you know, businesses, particularly in the current climate, need to diversify. So they might be like, actually, we don't really need this role and this is what we need. Um, and what that really means is that if you've got vacant roles and you've got employees who have been affected, you need to be considering those employees for the vacant roles um, and whether they should really be offered redeployment into that role. Um, this is another area which I think a lot of employers get wrong um, and they might just say, oh, there's this role. Sorry about that. Um, they might just say, there's this role, you're welcome to apply for it. Um, when they might actually have an obligation to redeploy someone into a role. And so whether you should really be redeploying someone into a role, so just offering them a new role straight away, really depends on how similar one of the created roles are to their current role or their old role. Um, and if they're substantially similar, then it is a role that they should be offered. Um, mm. Substantially similar is a little bit loose, I suppose, um, but if it's really, um, you know, similar type skills, qualifications, experience, um, then there's an argument that they may be, should be offered redeployment. Um, the obligations of redeployment have gone through the courts quite a bit. 
and there's um, obligations suggest from those sorts of cases is that you really need to be offering redeployment even if a little bit of upskilling or training might be required. So if an employee might not necessarily have all the skills and experience they need, but they could do the job with a little bit of training, then they should be offered that role. Um, and yet this is definitely an area that lots of employers do get wrong. Um, and it shouldn't just be, if it's clearly something they could do um, based on the position descriptions, then they should be offered that. And this is something that a lot of the time they do get wrong and just say, oh, there's this role, you can apply for it or something like that. <clears throat> I've been in a scenario where we had a restructure and I thought that there's a new role that was created, which was a team manager. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the team that I was in, but it was an, it was another team. And I, there was obvious choice. The person was really, really good at the job that mm. they're already doing and they're already showing leadership um, attributes or traits with the team already. So they're already sort of acting in that role, even though they weren't doing there was no role. Right. Mm. And then they they created this new role. And then all of a sudden, this random who no one ever heard of from outside of the organization came in and got that job. And then the yeah. person who was epic left because they're like, that's, that sucks, you know, because that yeah. was, I felt that that was, I was already doing that job anyway. Yeah. Look, what, what, what could you do then? Because when can you start sending it outwards to, for people? Cause there are like this, this, this ridiculously skilled people out there right now who have used to have a job, COVID's released them. And now there's content creators, marketers, sales managers, people who have, Used to be in tourism or events, and now out in out in the in in regular jobs. I call them now because tourism and events are not regular jobs, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, what can you do? Yeah, so you definitely have an argument potentially for that you should have been redeployed into that role. Mm. Um, it would really be require assessing kind of your position description against the position description for the new role, mm. as well as just your general capabilities and how you meet those criteria that are in the job description um, in order to justify why you should have been offered that role. So if you did have real concerns around that, then you could certainly um, raise an argument to that effect that saying you should have been offered that role as a redeployment opportunity. Um, particularly, that would be if your role no longer existed, I suppose. Um, that's when the obligation to redeploy really comes in. Um, but if it's just a newly created role and you're still, your role is still there, then that obligation of redeployment isn't the same um, because you've still got your existing role and it might be that they've just, um, yeah, they might have found someone that they think is better suited. Um, so the obligation isn't quite the same if you're still employed, but if, you're, if your role has been disestablished, then they really need to be considering you for vacant roles. And that's where the obligation of redeployment really comes into it. Mm. And just to finish off that story, true story, the person that they hired in was rubbish, alienated a lot of our accounts and then left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, again, this is something you need to be really careful about and to really think through all the effects of a restructure because, 
you know, if you're bringing in people above other people and changing their direct reports and that sort of thing, it still can affect others. Um, and if you're bringing in new roles that, um, you know, cross over to other people's areas, then it, it, it can create some animosity in the um, in the workplace. And so, yeah, and I think just finally, like a lot of the time, what people get aggrieved about is really little practical things that I think employers should think carefully about. You know, if you are making decisions to terminate someone's employment um, based on, um, so you've made them redundant um, and you're giving them notice and you're saying, look, we won't require you to work your notice. Um, here's your box, get out the door today. Those little things can really um, aggrieve people and that's a lot of the time where personal grievances come from. I just really recommend to remember that they are an employee, they're not leaving any fault of their own. Um, you know, put put them, um, put together the farewell morning tea, still go through those processes that you do for a normal employee and don't just make them feel like they're being pushed out the door because that's when a lot of the time they feel like they've done something wrong and that mm. it is personal. So just keeping in mind um, little tips like that and when you are meeting with them that you're saying, you know, this is the reasons, making clear that it's not personal, it's based on roles, it's not based on people. Um, so little practical things like that can actually go a long way in these sorts of processes. And sometimes the, those decisions are made on economic or global um, reasons that are outside of an organisation's control. As an example, COVID, March 2020. Yep. You know, the borders shut. No one, no one could come into New Zealand in, from outside of New Zealand unless you're a Kiwi or, yep. or you tried to come home. So then the international sales development managers from a lot of tourism organizations their role was no need, not needed anymore because they couldn't yeah. go overseas and no one was coming back and and there was no end to that so a lot yeah. of those 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 types of roles were were either changed or molded into something new or just yeah. completely just dis disestablished dis and those highly skilled people are now out in the different industry now so yeah. there, there are other environments that yeah. that impact the decision or the reasons why a um, a restructure happens as well and, and those those are really stink because they're outside of the control and so yeah. sometimes you need to have a little bit of self-awareness going well i can i can sort of understand why in that situation it might be quite obvious that there's no real need for that role going forward but that still doesn't mean that the employer doesn't have to go through the right process so you still need to make sure that the process you're doing is still really clear um, to employees and that they're given the opportunity to give feedback and that sort of thing and um, always look at the employment agreements before you start any restructure process as well um, so look at what entitlements employees have um, in the case of redundancy um, most of the time it'll set a period of notice um, but it's actually quite uncommon in New Zealand for employment agreements to provide for redundancy compensation. Um, I'd say probably 90% of the employment agreements I see say that no redundancy compensation is payable. Um, in some cases, like in Australia, um, it's prescribed by law. So there's a certain period, um, yeah. certain amount of compensation that employees receive in the event of redundancy based on the length of service. But we don't have anything like that here. 
So it, it's just really governed by whatever is in the employment agreement. Mm. Interesting stuff. So the last question I'm going to ask is there's a newly established role. When does, when can you go public? When can you, when can you say, look, the role that we need right now, in addition to the ones we've already got. So I'm, I'm removing these two roles because, yep. and we need someone who can create content and write and do the job that you're doing as well. Um, and I don't feel that the two, the two of you have got that capability yet. Um, so, or, or let's just say this as an example. So w when is it okay to go out? Yeah, you'd need to have really rounded off the process with those people who have been disestablished. So if they've said, if, say, for example, they didn't necessarily have the skills and experience to be redeployed, um, but they expressed an interest and they said, look, I want to talk to you about this role. I think I could do it. Um, you would then need to go through that process with them and um, assess them against the position description. When you are creating new roles in a restructure, you should be providing a position description for any new roles so that people can really assess whether they can do that role or not. Um, and so you'd really need to go through that process and say, well, actually, we don't think you've got the skills and experience because of X, Y, Z. You don't have this qualification. You haven't been doing a leadership role for five years or what have you. Um, and you'd really need to round off that process with those employees before going live with the role um, and make sure that it's being communicated to them that they don't have the skills and experience for the role, what that means for their employment, such as means that their employment's coming to an end by redundancy before you suddenly start advertising on the open market. And for the employees, employers, sorry, out there listening to this, you can do that in a nice way as well. Go into yep. the conversation with that employee prepared yep. because yep. it's a real delicate situation and, and it could really had that conversation in a way where look you've got a massive opportunity we know you can do that job but not not right now and these are the areas that we would love for you to grow in but stay where you are because you're really good at what you're doing now and then um if, if we can work on these things in the future if that person leaves or, or there's another situation that comes up then go and grab it but this is yeah. the area that we feel that you need to grow or something like that rather yeah, than just saying look you're not you, you don't have this these skill set mate so sorry you're not going to be able to get the job very different way of communicating that to them. This is the same. Be nice. Go look. We're going to help you get to that space. But right now, you're not in that zone to be able to yeah. do that job. Yeah, absolutely. And as I was saying, those little more personal touches can really go a long way in these mm. processes. Just making clear that it, it's not personal what you're doing. It's about what's best for the business, um, and it's about the roles, not about the persons. So just removing any sort of kind of personal. Um, direction mm. like that and just making it clear that um you know it's unfortunate how this has happened but um and just making sure that they're not feeling like they're pushed out the door because that mm. can really um make employees feel um unappreciated and that their time there hasn't been valued as well mm. and it's an opportunity for managers or or ceos or whatever you are in the organization if you're in a leadership position you should know like theoretically like I feel you should know or have a an idea of where your employees want to be in the future as well. Or you got you can yeah. ask them those questions. So what do you want to do in five years' time from now? Which is the question I used to ask people in my team all the time. And, and yeah. often there was there was 
they couldn't figure it out or say well what about six months or 12 months and i'd keep asking it you know, let's help you get there um now so that in the in the future when a role comes up you've got the experience and capabilities to be able to do it without doubt yeah yeah absolutely and um you know in in an ideal world all managers would be like that but unfortunately you do see a lot of people who end up in management roles when um they probably shouldn't be um and you may not have those conversations but yeah exactly you know if you're having those conversations you'll be able to know what sort of roles your employees could do or what they might be interested in and kind of preempt that a wee bit um, which would be mm. good that is another podcast about management. You just get into management roles from just based on the time that they've been there, not based on the actual personal skills that they have where, oh, John, you've been in this role for five years. Now you're managing a team. Yeah. You're good at doing the engineering. Now you've got yeah. to manage the engineers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, accountants or lawyers or what have you, and you do it for a certain period, and then suddenly you have a team underneath you. But they might not be given the support they need to actually be a leader or be a manager. So, yeah, we can definitely talk about that another day as well. <laughs> um, and, and I suppose if, if, if I was going to wrap up this this whole conversation it's, um, and what I was just thinking throughout as well, is it's really important to make sure that when you employ someone that their job description is quite specific to their role so that when you do or if you do come to a scenario where you're restructuring because of um, a bad situation or restructuring because you've had extreme growth that you can go back to the job description and and say hey look this is this is what your core strengths are and this is why we employed you originally this is what the new role is and these are what the new um the description of the role is these are the gaps where i feel that you need to grow to be able to get into there and that, yeah. that would make the conversation so much easier yeah, definitely. Position descriptions are really important in a restructure situation. So I know sometimes it can feel like a bit of a drag putting together a position description when you're just wanting to offer someone a role initially when they start employment. Um, but it is important that a little bit of thought is given to them. Um, there is no legal requirement to provide a position description, but I think it's really helpful that everyone's on the same page about what their duties are, what their expectations are. Um, and then in a restructure situation, it does become really relevant because often you're comparing job descriptions with job descriptions or what have you. So um, definitely worth putting the time and thought into that at the start. Mm. It does. And it helps with when your your team members are doing jobs that are outside of their scope. And yep. you say, well, I love it how you're doing that. But mm. we've got to remember our core role is to get leads do yeah. this engineering, build houses, dig holes, whatever it is, bake cakes. We don't want to be, you know, we need to stick to this. Yeah. And and when we can go go and do those other things, it's cool that you're doing that, but let's stick to what we what we're employed to do. Yeah, and it may be that position descriptions do evolve over time and that it's worth reviewing every year or so to check that they are still relevant. And if they're not, consulting with the employee about how they make it really reflect their role just to make sure everyone's on the same page, really. Cool. Sophie, this has been an awesome one. I really enjoy chatting about restructures, which is weird. Um, yeah, but I have been... there's, a lot of, there's a lot of fish hooks and that sort of thing with restructures. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about under that topic. Um, but particularly if you're looking at um, restructures which affect a lot of people or a, a little bit more complex 
particularly around selection criteria and that sort of thing, I'd just always recommend seeking advice. And if you're an employee, um, using that time that you've got feedback to seek advice as well, just to check that what they are doing is is correct. So Sophie, if anyone out there is listening right now and they've got a team and they're looking at doing a restructure, I would suggest that they contact you. So yes. how do they get in touch with you? Yep, so my email address is sophie.logie at cavell, so C-A-V-E-L-L dot co dot NZ. Um, we've also recently been doing what we call, it's a back to basics, a series of um, articles, um, mm-hmm. and those are available on the Kevill Leach LinkedIn page. And we've basically just covered the life cycle of the employment relationship. It's really a guide for employers, but it's also really helpful for employees to see what employers should be doing in those sorts of circumstances and one of those um one of the additions in the series is about restructures so um definitely check out the kibble leach linkedin page if you want to have a look at that guide um cool really helpful we'll make sure that your email address and that the the hyperlinks to the blogs on your linkedin page are in the notes but um thank you very much for your time this has been a good one Thank you. Yeah. I think it's going to add a lot of value. No, always a pleasure. Thank you, Craig. No worries. And employers out there, just remember you can always be kind when you're providing candor. So just be kind when you're talking to employees because it is a, a tricky scenario. And, you know, if you've got a, a mortgage, you've got kids and you're looking like you might lose your job or you're feeling like that, you need to have a think about that as well because it's, it's tricky times. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. We really do hope that it's added some value to you. Did you know that we've actually got a physical event in Auckland, New Zealand this year in November on the 8th and 9th of November at the Vodafone Event Centre? Jump onto our website www.nzsmefestival.com for more details. Otherwise, you have a great day. Keep being awesome and keep being kind to your employees too, please.